Good afternoon. This is a special edition of the Executive Girlfriends Group Show. It is Thursday, February 28th, 2013, and I cannot believe that it's almost March. Uh, We have a very, very special guest uh, today who uh, was brought to my attention actually uh, a little bit more than a year ago by one of our members in Portland. And she has written a couple of books, I mean, not one, but two, uh, who are going to be published uh, coming here in the next uh, 45 days or so. And so we wanted to do a special show uh, to help her move that process along. And our guest today is Luna, and I forgot to ask you, Luna, is it Jaff Wild? Jaffy. Jaffy Jaffy. Wild. Okay, sorry. not Wild, just Jaffy. Oh, Jaffy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm seeing wild money. (laughs) Here I'm I'm thinking it's uh, hyphenated. So let's reboot that. Okay. Our guest today is Luna Jaffe. And uh, the the book that we are going to talk about today is a book called Wild Money, A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom. Welcome, Luna. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, why don't we start off? Our our listeners love to hear the backstory about you. So before we start talking about money and we start talking about being an author and we start talking about the book and the publishing process, let's talk about you. Why don't you give us your your story? Absolutely. Um I have to do a tiny little disclosure first because my I work for a broker dealer as a securities professional. They want me to just make sure that people understand that I'm a certified financial planner, and that I uh, have a relationship with KMS Financial Services. All right. And as a, um, the backstory is that I started as a uh, an artist. I, I would call myself an accidental artist. I literally walked down the street one day in Boston when I was 23 years old and saw a incredible silk painter paint painting that was a banner. And I knew that was what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I walked in. I said, who who did this? I need to know this person. And they gave me the person's name and their phone number. And I called her and I said, I need to learn how to do this. And she taught me. I then uh, spent the next 12 years as a professional silk painter and made wearable art that was sold mostly directly myself, but I also sold on Madison Avenue and in San Francisco at wearable Very art galleries. Cool. But the whole time I was an artist, I, uh, although I, I would say I had a successful career as an artist in the sense that I was able to um, pay my bills, I traveled all over the world, I, I did what I wanted to do, but I didn't ever have a real sense of understanding the business side of being an artist or how to um, get ahead. I didn't know how to save uh, I went from uh, it's not paycheck to paycheck when you're an artist. It's um, it's like going from a show to a show. Like you make a lot of money, right. and then you spend a lot of money. You make a lot of money, you spend a lot of money, and that was my life. And when I stopped being a professional artist, I did so in order to enroll in a graduate program in psychotherapy, mm. and wanted to move into teaching uh, using creativity as a tool for transformation from a uh, emotional kind of context. Uh, Psychotherapy also didn't provide me with a background or an understanding of how to do the business side of being a therapist. So I ran into the same problem again. I was like, dang it, this is just not uh, (laughs) making me feel more successful. I saw people around me that seemed to be more successful, and it was frustrating. 
after a divorce that really left me in a place that was quite um, high and dry financially, I uh, I had a therapist who said, maybe you should just start over again. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, and I thought immediately, like many people do, oh, I better go back to school. I need more skills. I, what do I do? And she said, no, 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 just find a, a company that will teach you the skill set that you need. And I didn't think that was possible, but I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And I actually went into uh, computer software support, <laughs> which is so bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, that I was, was going to say. That was not, I mean, I said, this is me. You'll get the picture that I kind of go from the right brain to the left brain to the right brain to the left brain. <laughs> and um, truly, I like to live in the middle. Um, but I got hired by a company that taught me all about computer hardware and software. I then did technical support for uh, Internet companies for about three or four months, and then they hired me to be their trainer. So then I was suddenly training people that knew far more than I did um, about computers, but I knew more about how to do support and customer service than they did. So I tried to stay up on it. And um, and then I became a supervisor and a manager within a high-tech company and quickly sort of developed my own program there as a coach and trainer of soft skills. I felt like one of the things that was really missing in the world of a technology in particular was um, good soft skills training and good management uh, training. So I basically just proposed that I learn those skills and then teach them, and they took it, <laughs> and I got to do it. And then 911 happened, which um, I think happened to many people, and they basically said, well, this doesn't matter anymore. We don't need this. And I got laid off. Right. And and when I got laid off, I was really in a quandary. Do I go back to art or do I pursue business in some form or another? And I, I sort of put it up to the universe, <laughs> put out my prayers and said, I don't really know the answer. What do I do? And I went to a business, a women's business expo and um, met a woman there who said, you should become a financial advisor. And I went, you must not be talking to me. I looked around. Yeah, I was the only one there. I can just see it. And I said, why would you think that? Like, I don't like money. I don't like managing money. I hate doing my checkbook. What makes you think that I could do this? And she said, well, you have great people skills, and the rest can be learned. And I was like, Really? <laughs> I mean, who knew, right? And then I took it as a dare. I was just in this place in my life where it's like, maybe the universe is answering my prayer. Maybe I better pay attention. And so I applied to one of the top broker dealers in the country who had a training program. You didn't; It required nothing. You had to have an undergraduate degree, but no training. I had I knew nothing. I didn't know what a bond was. And they hired me. <laughs> and then I went, oh, wow. no. I better I better <laughs> now learn. Now what do I do? Yeah, now what do I do? And they gave me a four-month training program where they sent me a computer and they said, okay, you have two months, pass the Series 7 uh, securities exam. And then I passed it, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> and as soon as I got done with the training and I had to start going out and talking to people, I realized that it was true. You really can learn this stuff. And I started having a really good time talking to women about how they can learn how to manage their money better. And I learned along the way, of course, but that was really how I got to the point of being a financial advisor and then a certified financial planner, which takes years of 
getting your hours in and then taking two-day exams and those types of lovely hurdles that we go through. But And then it shifted to me wanting to be able to not only work with high net worth clients, which I love to do and I do in my um, company, Lunaria Financial, but I really felt like I was missing the capacity to work with women that weren't there yet. Right. And that's where my books came in, and the books decided to write me in a sense. I felt like they took over my life for two years. <laughs> in order to in order to really bring financial literacy to a much broader audience. And so that's that's sort of the the short version. So your your foray into writing really came from a book that is available on your website which we'll talk uh, about how to find you a little bit later, but um it it is a an ebook that you wrote uh giving essentially a financial glossary and i love the and and i'm so glad that you gave us your background with the the artist uh in you because uh your your book covers are very very colorful and the graphics are are very very interesting so that that first foray was called Zelda's financial field guide can you give us a little uh insight into how that name uh evolved <laughs> Yeah, it's a funny. So when I was writing Wild Money, which is my um, my main book, uh, it, as I was writing it, it started to feel like there was this quirky little character that needed to come out to occasionally kind of hold your hand or make you laugh or you know make money not quite so serious. And I had two illustrators working for me, so I've done some of the artwork in Wild Money, but a lot of the work was done by two local artists because I couldn't write the book and do all the illustrations. Otherwise, it would never have been born. So um, one of my students actually drew this great little character that I was looking at, and I thought, I love her. I want her in the book. And then I named her Zelda, and I said, I need more Zeldas. And because Zelda sort of has this this take on money that I felt made it approachable, and um, that it's okay to start where you are. And so her messages, she sort of pops up here and there in the book, in the journal, and the field guide is named after her because um, this visual glossary was my way of taking all the years I have of drawing. I've drawn so many pictures for people about, like, how does a mutual fund work and what is a stock? And, no, there's a difference between interest and dividends. And... um, Having done that for so long, I was like, I need a book that I can say, now, here, just read this, and then we'll talk about what it means. And so now I get to, I give that to every new client, and they can, um, they can start to feel more confident. And then Zelda's, right. Zelda shows up throughout the field guide, and she recaps each each uh, each little section so that you get what the key points were. So you get my words, and then you get Zelda's kind of take on it, and, <laughs> and that's where it. it came from. It was like I want to make it friendly, colorful. Okay, so she's your alter ego. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> How fun! How fun! I I actually have a book that I have uh, been writing for some time that uh, that also has uh, a character like that. So. Uh, uh, very cool. I love it. So, so let's uh, dive right into wild money. And again, uh, one of the things, uh, and, and Patty's heard me say this a zillion times, is I'm just suck, such a sucker 
for cover art. And, uh, you know, mm. I think that your book is, uh, you know, just going to jump out at people just because of the graphical impact of it. But the the thing I, I love about it is the subtitle for the book is A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom. And uh, kind of on the, the opening part of the book, you're talking about really the, the six keys, which are, are shown as flower petals, which is uh, really the first graphic that hits you. And, and those, those petals to the flower are receive, give, protect, grow, nurture, and spend. So we're going to um, jump right into the book. And uh, you, you talk about those just in a tiny bit more detail in what is called the Wild Money Manifesta. And, you know, for those who have, have seen other manifestos, which, uh, you know, just by the very use of the letter <laughs> O at the end versus A, you know, they're kind of for mankind at large. And, and this is clearly for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that manifesta is, is a, a gift to us because of that. So talk to us about the, the manifesta. Well, I really, so in, indeed they are the capsulation of each chapter of the book. And the image was, the idea here was to really get it on one page so that people could put it up. Um, I made it actually, it's a screensaver as well as a poster that can be printed out from your computer. It's free on my website to anybody who wants it. And my goal is to just give people some language around these different aspects. Money is not just one thing. We relate to money in so many different ways. And so I try to help people look at the fact that, you know, how are you receiving and how are you nurturing and what are you doing around your spending so that you can tease out the places that you do well and and then focus on the places that are challenging. But one of the things as women we need is to stop criticizing ourselves so much um, and feeling like I do everything badly when it comes to money when, in fact, a lot of people have, they may earn money beautifully and they totally right. take that for granted. Um, because they have a spending problem. <laughs> or, you know, they're beautiful at how they manage their spending. They just don't make enough money. Right. So they feel like they don't do well. So it's, it's for me, I, and, and in the classes I teach, I try to get people to really look at that and then start to say, wow, you know, I've got this one down. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's, why don't I acknowledge that before I move on to, to saying, okay, this one, this place is really hard for me. You know, like I'm, I'm, I haven't ever planted a seed. <laughs> like I've don't, never bought a stock or a mutual fund. I don't know what that means. Okay, so, but you've done these other things. So let's get there. Now it's time to plant the garden. Right. That's that's what it is. So this, um, I've actually just translated into Spanish. I'm also uh, I'm bilingual, and so I really wanted this manifesto to also be available to um, the Spanish-speaking world. And oh, start get, get the concepts in a broader to a broader audience. All right. Well, let's let's start with the process, and and you know this appeals to the consultant side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and whenever there's a model, uh, which uh, you know when you can articulate something on one page or in a graphic, uh, you know that to me is a model that we can uh, refer back to, and it refers to a process. So tell us about the wild money process. So the so again the wild like you described nicely the wild money process is divided into um, what I call six money mandates they're on this uh, flower petal mandala and the idea at the very beginning of the book is I ask people to assess how they're doing relative to 
giving, receiving, nurturing, spending, growing, and protecting. So how do mm-hmm. you do with that, each one of those? And that's the framework I use to take people through each chapter. And then the chapters, this book is called A Creative Journey because I'm asking people to use visual images. It's a very different concept than anywhere else out there. There's, there is no other book that actually has you look at your relationship with money using images, hopefully, not always, but hopefully, that you will draw yourself, no matter what your artistic skill. Because actually the people that do little stick drawings do the best and have the most transformative experiences. It's being willing to simply say, what is my relationship with receiving? What does that look like? And if I had to draw a picture of it, what would that picture be? Even if I feel like I'm a three-year-old drawing, in fact, usually as a three-year-old you're going to get more from it, (laughs) <laughs> you can also do collages. You can pull images off of Amazon, uh, Google right. Images, wherever. And an example of how that's worked, it's fascinating, is I had a, a 75-year-old student who said, you know, I went to Google Images to find my image, and I thought my money relationship is like a spiral. So I clicked and I wrote in the word spiral into Google Images. And one of the first images she saw was a, a, a picture of a plane being shot down. And she was like, that's it. (laughs) That is my relationship with money. And she said, so even though her conscious mind said spiral, her unconscious mind said plane being shot down. Wow. And and she knew when it was the right image. And that is where that poignancy comes from. Like if I had asked her to define her relationship with money with words, she wouldn't necessarily get there. But because she had to use an image, she found a different a different relationship, a different understanding of that relationship, and then we can work with that. We can change that image, transform it into something that feels like what you want to have in your life. So each chapter of the book has you do um, where are you now, and and then at the end of a chapter has where do you want to be with each Mm. aspect. So where are you with receiving, and where do you want to be with receiving at the end after you've learned all these different things and tried on different practical tools for receiving and you've explored your history with receiving then you get to the end and it's like okay so now where do you want it to be draw that picture and by drawing it it cements it into your unconscious mind and your unconscious mind starts to make it happen wow wow that's a powerful process so um you know it's very interesting that you start uh and and you use the word receive. Um, one of my favorite books ever is a book called The Go-Giver. Mm. And it, it's a little book that actually jumped off of a table uh, in, in Atlanta in a bookstore at the airport uh, into my hands. I, I knew I was supposed to read it and uh, ended up, uh, I, I've interviewed the authors uh, a couple of times on my various radio shows. And it, it's really five uh, principles about giving and the most difficult of those is receiving. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that you choose to use the word receive because uh, their point was that, you know, you can give and give and give all day long and, and that's like exhaling, but if you never inhale, you know, you, you can't exhale. And you use the word receive instead of earn. Most of us earn our money. Uh, it, it doesn't just arrive in the mail, uh, although that that would be nice, too. I'm open to that. No kidding. Um, but give me a little bit of the background, because that, that had to be a deliberate choice. And, and Chapter 2 is Receive Money with Grace. 
It is receiving because it, 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 money comes to us in so many different forms. And since predominantly I work with women, what I deal with are women that have inherited money, women that have alimony payments, women that have received uh. insurance settlements, women that um, that are managing money for their children. I mean, it's coming from all different places. We also have money that just shows up, like you find money on the street or you have um, an unexpected, somebody unexpectedly just gifts to you in a certain way. I wanted to encapsulate all of that because if I use the word earn, I I cut all that out. And one of the biggest challenges I see women facing right now is that inheriting, more and more women are inheriting money. More and more women are managing the money in the households, even if they're married to men. And so I wanted to help them focus on the action of receiving rather than the action of earning. So I'm not addressing how to make more money. I'm addressing how to be gracious in the receiving of the money that you make. And And I'm doing that intentionally because there are some very good books out there about earning. Right. That already has been handled. <laughs> and so right. I'm and, doing you know, I, I, I perhaps read it a, a, a little different way because I thought, you know, so often <clears throat> we don't give uh credit for um for what we do earn to the gifts that we have been given. And mm-hmm. and uh you you have to receive that gift with grace. Yes, right? yes you, you do. You um and and if you take all of the credit, it's kind of like taking the credit for a, a Christmas present you've been given that you really had absolutely nothing to do with it ending up in your hands other than it was a gift. Right. And, and you know, I was just having a, a discussion at lunch with someone, and, and really I was talking about how very blessed I am to have such a wide range of of talents that were given to me, and I, I've been able to monetize many of them, not all of them. Um, but uh, as soon as you forget about receiving it with grace, then you start to take credit for something that you know. Again, in in many cases, it was kind of an accident of of birth or or wherever you were that uh, you know you really didn't do anything. Uh, you know, including working hard because working hard is because we're healthy and and you know health is a gift as well. Well, yeah, and think about the emotion. So my book is very grounded in the emotional experience we have of money. Right. And the challenge that we get into as women who inherited money, for example, is a feeling of not deserving it. Interesting. And and so there's or, you know, you or you ha- you're married to somebody who has a great income. Um but it feels like it's not yours. There's a sense of how do you live with that? How do you struggle with right that sense of not entitlement because i certainly don't want people to walk around feeling entitled but feeling right. gracious is a is a is a lovely place to be yeah i love that so let's move on to the next one because i think you know a, a lot of us um have this challenge that probably the biggest challenge of all of these components uh it's with this one and, and that is with spending um and you know we buy things we don't need um we buy things to make us feel better um and we buy things and we forget how we felt the last time we bought them i i just had this experience today i had decided 
uh, a while ago that I wanted to buy some Lancome mascara because for years we we went through some difficulty financially because we had invested in a business that didn't do well, and you know so I was doing you know probably not even Maybelline you know whatever whatever the discount mascara was, but when I first bought Lancome uh, again I had bought it years ago, um, it had this horrible odor and I, I couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from to be honest with you I, I like all day long I, I had the smell following me around well a couple of weeks ago darned if I didn't buy Lancome again and it still smells horrible so you know we spend money not with intention and and this chapter is about being intentional uh, with your money and and so talk to me about uh, the components here uh, within this chapter because it's a, a fair, fairly lengthy chapter, about forty pages. It's that, the meatiest uh, of them all, <laughs> right? Um, and that's because you're right. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of emotion that goes along with spending. So one of the things I have people do, for example, is I have them create a mind map of emotions and what they do when they feel that emotion when it comes to spending. And and that part of that is, so when you're feeling joyful or successful, what do you spend money on? And when you're feeling depressed or lonely or sad um, or angry or <laughs> uh, frustrated, what do you do? And so it's part of that gaining consciousness of <clears throat> how you behave with your spending patterns can help you bring it under control. It's like, oh, man, I'm really angry. Probably a good idea for me not to go to that clothing store right now. <laughs> because I don't want to end up with, you know, five dresses I don't really need. Right. You start to know yourself. But the other piece, the big work in this chapter, is that I help people identify three different numbers that I think you need in your life. You need to know what your basic, what I call your squeak-by number is. That is, if you're unemployed, if you don't have any income coming in, what are the most basic, at the most basic level, do you have to have in order to meet your obligations um, and to keep yourself, you know, basically surviving, not anything extra at all. That number can become very valuable so that whenever change happens in your life, you can go, okay, I know I can make it on $2,500. I know I can make it on $4,000, whatever your family right. situation is. The second number that I have people work on is what I call the enough number. Most people live in enough forever. And my goal with enough is to help people see that enough is just that. It's enough. It's not plenty. So the third number is plenty. Right. Enough is I'm able to go out to eat when I want or I'm able to put my kids through the kind of school I want them to be in. It's enough. But it's not It's not the goal. So some many of us, I think, live with this dream of, well, if I just had a million dollars or if I just had blah, 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 um, right. I would be just ecstatically happy. And the reality is is that money is not what makes us ecstatically happy. What makes us ecstatically happy is usually feeling the connections that we want to feel and having the the space in our life to do the things that matter. And so what I do with this last number is I get people to really articulate what are those things, what are those dreams. You've always wanted to play the cello always wanted to go to Africa, you want to volunteer for a year in Costa Rica, what are those things and what do they actually cost? And how much would you have to add to your monthly income in order to get there? So that we start to live in a world where plenty becomes our language rather than enough. Mm. And that's the distinction that I feel is so critical <clears throat> to helping us 
aim for what matters rather than aiming for something like so many women are pushing themselves in corporate jobs, working their tails off, and not having a life in order to make this huge income that they don't get to enjoy. Right. And that's not that's not the purpose. The purpose, I think, of our lives is to be able to give our gifts to the world <laughs> by and yet have this sense of abundance, and that abundance can come more likely come to our lives when we're articulate about what it is. You know, for me, it's guitar lessons. It's getting to sing. I love to sing. I want to sing with a group. Mm. Yeah, and if somebody said, will you be in my band? I'd say, yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) Like, that's my dream. (laughs) Um, That's just one of those things. It's like my little fantasy. But, But... I can make it happen. It's not that much more money in my life to spend in right. order to have guitar lessons, really. <laughs> really, that's not much. Maybe it's, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month or a week. So it's helping people to find those numbers, and then they can start to say, wow, really, it's only like an extra $150 a month for me to really feel like I'm living in plenty. And some people don't have big ambitions, and other people do. But right. that's Okay. <laughs> So that's really what that chapter is. It's walking you through this sense of how intentional can I be? And and it's not about scrimping and, and, and being in this place of survival. It's about acknowledging the places that feed us on right. many levels, of which money is one. one well, I, I think we're in a very, very interesting place right now, Luna, that um, – you know, many of us, uh, and I can share my experience, I spent 15 years on, on the corporate side of life. Uh, I have been in the travel industry my whole uh, career and, and, you know, so had a regular paycheck and, and worked for companies that, you know, one would have thought never would have faced bankruptcy, although I did spend 10 years with American Airlines and, and uh, you know, that certainly came into question over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, and then I moved out on my own and, and had a consulting firm and, and still do, uh, although that's not my primary day job these days. But, you know, moved into the world where money wasn't um, a regular thing and, you know, it, the ebbs and flows, uh, you know, had to be managed. But I was always, uh, during that time frame, even even after September 11th, did very, very well, uh, was very blessed with, uh, I was sharing with you before we got on the air, uh, you know, did a year-long project with Intel on a mobile travel product, and then uh, my my firm built LasVegas.com. So, you know, we were very, very blessed to be in the right place at the right time, uh, all the time, for a very long time. And then, you know, kind of without notice, um, I lost my passion uh, for mm. my primary business. And, uh, you know, one day sat in front of my husband uh, after being out uh, for some surgery and came back and said, you know, honey, I don't want to be here. And, you know, he looked at me, and I I swear, now that I look back, I'm sure the blood drained out of his face because he was the one who managed all the money and he knew what it took for us to live at that particular moment in time. Um, But anyway, what I was really saying to him is I've I've lost my passion for what I'm doing. He he actually heard, oh, you've been out for three months. You you don't need to work full day today. Just go home. It's like, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what I was going to say is we've been in this time frame uh, particularly over the last few years. Uh, some of us, it's been a little bit longer than a few years because I had a, a spectacular business failure during that, that next couple of years, um, where we had had plenty, uh, more than plenty, enough to save and build a nest egg, which we're going to talk about next. 
And then we went through this time of uh, of almost literally famine. Um, you know, for some of us, that meant bankruptcy and losing our houses and, you know, all of those kinds of uh, crisis-oriented things. Um, and then, you know, uh, because of the ebb and flow of the way money works and of the way that uh, the economy works, you know, now we're back. And and so that whole issue of spending with intention really changes tone and character <laughs> um, when you have had all that you need, and then you have to live without, and then, mm. you know, you're back to where you've got that money. So let's talk about the nest, nest egg thing because, you know, again, I know that a lot of the women that you're dealing with, um, you know, are financially blessed, and, you know, whether it was handed down to them or they're managing it on someone else's behalf or they've got a husband who makes a lot of money, <clears throat> a lot of our listeners aren't in that place. Uh, in fact, the Executive Girlfriends Group has this pretty strange anomaly that <clears throat> almost 95% of our members are the primary breadwinner of their family. Mhm. I see and, that a lot. Yeah, and so they don't have someone else to depend on. In fact, many of them their husbands kind of choose not to work. Mm-hmm. And uh uh you know, and, and there's a time and a place for that and and my husband uh you know, I've been the breadwinner for well, forever. Uh we've been married 20 almost 23 years and um you know, and he recently decided to go back out to work and and is loving it, um, so that we so that I can focus on building the nest egg. So talk to me about the nest egg piece. Nurturing your nest egg is the name of this uh, next chapter. So the concept here is to um, build respect for the money that you receive, and to do something meaningful with it. And so I, throughout the book, I use stories and both stories that, uh, my own stories as well as stories of clients and students that have been through my programs and, and talk about how what what is the process of building a nest egg. We always, you know, a lot of people always refer to this, but when I went back and said, well, what is that concept to begin with, one of the things that really struck me was that um, a nest egg is really an artificial egg put into a chicken's nest to make them lay more eggs. And I thought, wow, like, who knew? I never knew. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought, well, what is it about that 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 makes it, makes the chicken want to lay eggs? It's like it feels good. <laughs> uh, like, I'm already here. There's already an egg here. I think I'll lay another one. And I think that's true about savings is that it, if we feel like there's something there, we feel hope. And if there's hope, we want to add to it. And so... Part of what I'm trying to set up in this chapter is how can we automate our savings, whether it's just personal savings or it's retirement or saving for a dream or to buy that first house or whatever it may be. It's it's a combination. There's two different things that need to happen. One is an awareness of the tools or vehicles we have for saving. So this book is it's 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 emotionally based. It uses creative process, but there's a lot of practical stuff in it about what kind of resources you might want to utilize, what kind of accounts you might need, or what kind of where would you put this money, uh, depending on what the purpose of it is. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the pieces of building financial savvy is that you know what the tools are and you know that if you're saving for a short, short-term goal, then that should be kept in cash or money market. And if you're saving for a 10-year goal, then you want to invest it so that your money can also earn money. And yet you have to understand, either understand how to do that, or as I advocate often in this book, 
know how to find the right people to help you. Right. I'm not a Susie Orman. I don't believe that every woman should be doing it herself because every woman doesn't want to do it herself. And they don't, right. you know, women don't want to feel stupid because they don't want to do it themselves. It's really a lesson I've learned in a, after a lot of years that it's a strength to build a team to help you towards your goals. And so that team personally may be your tax preparer or your CPA and your financial advisor and a personal attorney or an estate planning attorney. Um, it might be a personal business coach or personal coach. That might be my team personally. And then on the business side, I also have those advisors. Right. I have my own financial consultant. I have my own CPA. I have my business attorney. And I want them to advise me because I don't want to carry all those pieces. I want to know who's helping me. So Nurture Your Nest Egg is also about how do you get people that can help you to build structure, the structure that you need to understand what the priorities are and then how to make them happen. I mean, the right. biggest challenge in America is that we don't have savings built in to our system, whereas in Europe the reason why the saving rates are so much higher is because it's built in. Right. It's mandatory. Well, and, and again, I was sharing uh, with this woman I was having lunch with today, um, you know, my parents gave me amazing gifts. They're, they've both been gone for over a decade. But they they gave me uh, a full understanding of the meaning of unconditional love, and they instilled in me that I could do anything and be anything that I wanted. And... Uh, you know, and that was surrounded in, in you know, the, the package that came with uh, the, the faith that, that we grow, grew up in. Um, but what they didn't teach me about was money. And mm-hmm. they didn't save because my dad was a pastor and he didn't make much money. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so there was no nest egg. And, in fact, I remember as a child, um, and I'm old enough that uh, when I was little, uh, we didn't have, uh, in fact, Sears and Pennies didn't have stores. They were just a catalog, right? And so what what happened every year is my parents would buy the Christmas presents through the catalog, and uh, then they would uh, spend the next six months paying it off, and then they would borrow money for us to go on vacation, and they'd spend the next six months, you know, paying that off, and then, you know, the cycle would start again. So... You know, nurturing your nest egg, and and whether you are making, you know, twenty thousand dollars a year or two hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, if you start out saving uh, a percentage, uh, you know, that percentage grows with you as you go. So, uh, exactly. I think that that's a really really important one. So let's talk about uh, chapter five, which is about growth, and and the title of the chapter is "Grow Your Gold." Now, are you meaning this? Literally, that that we need to start uh, investing in metals if we no. haven't. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I, yeah, no. cause I, that I get really uncomfortable, uh, you know, with with uh, putting my money in something that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to go down and buy groceries with exactly. if uh, if our currency dries up. Yeah. No. This is a this is a chapter on investing and really understanding how investing. Uh, not so much the ins and outs of the stock market, but more about the language, understanding what you actually have. Of course, many, many women have investment portfolios. They've either inherited them, they're at work, they've invested in things with their husbands or their partners, and they don't really, many of them, have a clue what those investments are. And so this is a an opportunity to do a couple things. One is I talk about how to understand what your own comfort zone is 
so that when you do invest your money, you're investing in accordance or in alignment with what you can actually tolerate. And that's a really important piece because during 2008, as many people remember, when the stock market went on this crazy downhill spiral, um, the emotional side of most people took over and said, oh, my God, this is horrific. I've got to get everything out. And that is a that that is a, a an expression of risk tolerance. So some people were, oh well, it's going to come back, and I'll just put my head in the sand until it comes back, and I'll be fine. Right. And other people were absolutely. I mean, I had I had clients that were calling me every other day and saying, we got to get out. And you know, after three or four months of being badgered by them, it, it became exhausting to say, no, I really think you should stay. And eventually, they pulled their money out. And eventually, you know, and then they never put their money back in, and they lost it. They lost right. what they had because they didn't stay invested. And we need to do the opposite. We need to understand enough to know that when the, you know, when everybody's running for the market, that's the time to stay away from it. And then when everybody's running away from the market, those are the best opportunities. Right. It's very hard to get that in your body. And so, what I do with this chapter is help you look at what are your past experiences or your family's past experiences, because many, many people have had parents or grandparents that have invested and lost other money or had their farm taken away by the bank. or right. There are things that have planted seeds in us, almost it's in ourselves, and we don't even realize that it's still running us. And so by teasing those things out and getting us to look at how is this impacting your ability to make good choices now, um, we're able to move. I'm, I'm usually able to help people move to a new place that that feels like they own it rather than it's owning them. Right. And then right. we can start planting seeds in their own garden, and they can choose what they're planting, and they can feel good about it. So that's exactly. the crux of this chapter. Well, and and I think the interesting thing uh, again, uh, coming out of my own personal experiences of really investing everything that we had, and it wasn't in the stock market; it, it was in a business venture, losing it all, and and then you know being back in a position where I had to go back and and earn, you know, thinking I was doing something that was going to have long long term impact. I've now realized that one of the best currencies that I have to rebuild that nest egg that that we had and that we invested uh, and lost is that I actually can trade on what I know and what I do. And so uh, over the last couple of years, I have been investing uh, my time and energy in helping early-stage companies. And uh, twice I have helped a company sell and, you know, have had a piece of the company. Uh, You know, so I was able to enjoy uh, the monetization of, of the sale. And and uh, you know as I had mentioned earlier, now that my husband is is back working on on a full time basis and doing very very well, uh, you know even even at age sixty two, um, you know going out and just hitting it like he's forty, um, you know I now have the freedom to do that. And I think a lot of people who maybe had a nest egg that they lost. Um, you know, are still trying to grapple with, okay, so now do I have to work until I'm 95? Because, you know, there's no way that I can rebuild. I did, you know, maybe they bailed out 
of, of the market and did lose their nest egg. So, mm. you know, I, I think the interesting thing, and I don't know if you would uh, address this, uh, you know, as you're talking about growing your gold, but I, I would encourage our listeners to think about that. Do you have a skill that someone who's in an early stage company and can't afford to pay for it would be willing to give you a piece of what they're doing? And, you know, I mean, you have to decide how much time you, you can afford to devote to those kinds of things. But, um, you know, it has worked out very, very well for me. So, and I, I'm involved in two or three of them now. Uh, moving forward, so let's it's a great, talk it's a great about suggestion. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about number six. This one mm-hmm. happens to be my personal uh, passion uh, because I I think uh, we don't understand uh, as as a country as a people we don't understand and we're not raised understanding the power of giving. And chapter six is uh, Give with Guts, which I absolutely love. I I, I do a radio show on Fridays called Uncommon Giving, you know, looking at different ways that people are giving back, uh, not just monetarily, uh, you know, but with their their time and their their talent. So talk to me a little bit about Giving with Guts. Yeah, this is, um, again, my focus being women. What I have found over and over again is that women – uh, have a, a unique tendency to give far more than they really have to give. They give at their own expense. They easily um, do things for their children without caring for their own retirement first, for example, right. or um, or they're just giving, giving, giving to exhaustion, it, it volunteering and not thinking about, oh, that's actually energy which could be monetized, which could actually put me in a right. much better financial situation. And so the the point of this um chapter is to again really explore where did you grow up and how did that impact you what did you see what parts of what you experienced as a child is something you do now a lot of times we either do the same thing or we do something in resistance or reaction to what we saw like if I, we had a parent that you had a parent that was a pastor a lot of times families that have grown up in a church feel like you know the parents giving away everything <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's all about the church, and then there's no sense of like, God, you know, I'd really like a new pair of jeans every now and then, and <laughs> and but then they feel guilty about wanting that, and so then there's this right. huge complexity about, wow, I'm going to make sure my kids have more jeans than they could ever want, and it's a reaction to them not getting it when they were um, a child, and in fact, it's actually bankrupting them. Mm-hmm. So they're they're doing something that's that looks generous, but in fact, it's really twisted in a way and so what we're doing in this i'm doing in this chapter is i'm teasing out uh where where they're again where they're strong where they're doing things that work uh they feel good about they feel solid and where there's a place of "Mm, you know what i really don't want to do this i just feel obligated to do it or or really i'm not really giving much at all i see myself as a generous person but i'm really not acting on it or what I also try to do is say, where are you giving time? Because it's not always about giving money. It can be about the fact that you give time and how much right. time can you really afford to give away. And so there's this whole, at the very end, one of the, the exercises I do is it's called Stop, Start, Continue. So what are the giving activities you want to stop? What are the ones you want to start? And what are the ones you say, this, these work for me? And can you separate out the voices in your head of your parents and your culture and your church and your synagogue and your society that say you have to do these things and just start to resonate with really what is it that means the most to me and makes me feel good and in balance 
with my own particular financial situation. Right. All right. Well, great. Um, I need to just do a time check. I'm fine on time, but we had said we were going to go just till 4.45, so I just want to make sure you realize it's after 5. Yeah, no, I do. I see it. I'm fine. Are you okay? Okay, yep. great. Because we're we're kind of in the home stretch here, and yep. and I want I want to get through because we've just got two more chapters to discuss, and I want to talk a little bit about the the unique method that you're using to publish your book. So I want to mm-hmm. save a little bit of time for that. Okay. So the next the next and and actually the last piece of of the the flower uh, uh, image is protect, and the, chapter seven's title is protect your wild places. So what's that all about? What that's about is that we could just um, – the garden is a metaphor throughout this book. And if I think about – if you think about planting your garden in the middle of a field and, and it happens to be a crossroads for the deer in the community, that garden's never going to make it unless you protect it from the deer. Mm-hmm. And our lives and our money and our, our income streams are very similar to that. We have to respect them enough to say, wow, this – I not only put energy and time into creating this, but now I need to put time and energy into understanding the mechanisms to protect it. And we do have to protect those two things, assets and income. And estate planning is one of the pieces I'm covering here because it's unbelievable to me how few people have good, if any, estate plan. And by estate plan, I mean at the basic level, it's it's a will and power of attorney and medical directives. Um, although a living trust is a much better document and and really is worth the time and money it takes to create one for most people, not everybody, but for most people. But I talk about estate planning, the other aspects of estate planning, which are how you do beneficiary designations, how you leave messages, letters, instructions to the people that you love, how you communicate to your child or your loved ones what you what you care about and how you want to be treated if you're disabled. There's lots of important things to be doing there. And then the other side of this chapter is about how do we make sure that we have the right life insurance? Do we need life insurance? And if so, how much? Right. Do I need long-term care insurance? Do I need disability insurance? Do I even have health care insurance? I mean, I was doing this for over eight years before I finally recognized that I wasn't even talking about health insurance. And and I had several clients say, why aren't you asking me about that first? And I was like, I guess I just assumed you had it. <laughs> and then I realized I should not be making that assumption. So, you know, health insurance, if, without health insurance, a single event can create complete catastrophe in a family. Right. And so this is where we're saying it's very important to make sure that you have things in place that prevent catastrophe, that you're preparing for the what-ifs of life so that you can rest and say, you know, I can't prevent things from happening, but at least I know I'm pretty well set if something does happen. Mm. It's Excellent. an important chapter. <laughs> uh so there, there are a couple of other things in the book, and, and you know, you talk about being wild. I mean, throughout this whole thing, uh, you know, you've used the the wild art and the the wild character of Zelda and. And uh, you talk about yourself as being wild, and on your website you give us uh, the permission to also be wild. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so let's just wrap up um, 
you know, the discussion of the book itself and, and tell me what taking your wild with you implies. So wild in this book is not about being reckless and careless with money. It's about actually returning to a natural state. So I use the word wild to refer refer to this ah. sense of original uh, balanced place, thinking wilderness as being wild, um, uncultivated, and but rather than risky or uh, careless. And so taking your wild with you is the opportunity to, to look at the work that you've done, look at all these aspects of our relationship with money, and put it into some kind of perspective. So I actually have people do a retrospective of the work that they created because it's a creative process. And in the right. artistic world, we do retrospectives to look at how our work has progressed over the years that we've been doing it. Um, and looking for themes, looking for uh, ways in which there are strengths that we didn't even see were there until we look at the whole picture. And then the final piece of the book is to create an image that you'll carry with you of an integrated relationship with money, of a holistic relationship. And one of the exercises I give people here is to write a love letter to money. And I affectionately tell people that mm. you're in an arranged marriage with money. It's just the way it is. You can't not be in a relationship with money. And so if you are to accept your relationship with money and to, to treat it as your beloved, what do you want to say to it? And that's what this letter is. And one of my favorite uh, beginnings to a uh, a letter that somebody wrote was she wrote, My Darling Doe. <laughs> I love that. I just love that. I thought that was the best in terms of just bringing the, the humor and the affection into the relationship. And many times these letters are actually asking for forgiveness. I'm really sorry that I've treated you so poorly. Mm. I'm, really, I'm, I'm really sad that I didn't take you seriously. I'm really sad I didn't see that you actually loved me and I just didn't get it. Um, My, mine would silly. be, I am so sorry I sold my stock and uh, traded in my 401k. Uh, you know, way prematurely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's almost like saying, you know, will you forgive me for making those mistakes? And the bottom line is we can forgive ourselves for these things, but we have to do it. And right. so the letter is a way is a way to make that happen, and it's a nice piece of closure. It's like, okay, I've gone through this process, and, you know, I, I, guess, I guess you're okay. I guess money, I guess we're going to be okay. Uh, because money <laughs> is really it. a mirror. You know, you look in the mirror and how you behave with money is a reflection of who you are. Who do you want that to be? And that's that's the relationship you get to have. Wow. Wow. Well, let's let's turn our attention a little bit uh to the book itself. Be, uh, actually there are two books. There there is a field guide uh that goes along with Wild Money. Uh, in addition to the ebook that is available uh, now on your website, and and you've done something uh, really unusual, and you know we we talk to a lot of authors, and um, uh, we we don't normally talk to folks who are self-published simply, uh, I mean not for any particular reason other than uh, you know the PR folks that we work with typically are, are linked in with a publisher. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you you had sent a note to uh, again this dear friend of mine who is one of our members with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and you had said that a couple of things that uh, compelled you to do this on your own. 
um, well, number one, you're a rebel, and and uh, I, I I can hear that in in your stories. But um, also, you had an editor who was helping you, who you absolutely loved, uh, named Jeffrey Davis, and and that you also wanted to uh, have a lot of control over the the book design itself. And I can see now why it it isn't just about the cover, which mm-hmm. quite often it's about the cover and the title and those two things. Um, you know, quite often a publisher can uh, have undue control and, and make the writer. Uh, feel like she has lost uh, something uh, by giving up on, on those things. But um, I think the most interesting thing is that you are uh, going to be doing the self-publishing, but you're using a, a social media site called Kickstarter uh, to actually uh, raise the money. And, and you've created some very, very interesting packages uh, that allow people to support you with as little as a dollar contribution and, uh, you know, kind of all the way up. Um, but you've got a goal uh, to raise $18,000 uh, by this uh, coming Saturday, which is not so far away. Uh, but I think the amazing thing is that you've already brought in $10,000, actually $10,111, if we must be precise. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with 44 hours to go, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why we uh, did a special show for you today because, uh, you know, we wanted to help you in that journey. So so tell me how it's been so far. Uh, you know, do you ever uh, wake up in a cold sweat at night saying, you know, why didn't I just go with a publisher who, you know, like took all of this, uh, you know, the the actually getting the book printed and bound and shipped and uh, yes. marketed and, and distributed <laughs> and all of those things that come after the book is published? Yeah, yeah the answer is yes. I wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> it's, been, um, it's been hairy. And today, actually, my, uh, my right-hand woman who's been leading my Kickstarter campaign was in a car accident. Oh, no. And so uh, right before the call, I was, at the hospital. So oh, it's wow. been yeah, it's been very intense and I don't think I want to do a Kickstarter campaign ever again. Uh-huh. <laughs> However, I think it's been a fabulous tool and vehicle to um to get people engaged and understanding what I'm doing and and from that purpose it's been great. And I wouldn't give up uh publishing the book on my own for anything at this point. I really wanted that artistic control over it. And as you can see, it's fully illustrated. It's beautifully designed, and that's all yes, because I made sure that every single thing met my specifications. And I've been involved with the design process on a tiniest level the whole way through. So that's critical. So what we did with the Kickstarter that I'm very excited about um, is that we not only made it. So with a Kickstarter campaign, people who pledge receive rewards, and the rewards are either the books or fine art prints from the book, um, online classes with me, opportunities to um, to work with me. But we just added a uh, what we call the Women's Empowerment Pledge, which I'm excited about because it's an opportunity for women to help other women build their financial savvy. And so mm. at $50 or more, um, that money will go towards helping women in a local in Portland, uh, a women entrepreneurs group. So giving those women um, the books and a course to help them understand their emotional relationship with money and give them a skill set around managing mm. money so that their businesses are successful. And yeah, we're really that. just excited about that and want to get people on board with 
with it. We have, I think, 40 hours or 44 hours left <laughs> to the campaign. Right. So it ends on uh, it ends at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, the 2nd of right, March. Right, right. Well, we are excited about helping you with this, and and we do, uh, you know, some pretty significant social media promotion uh, of the shows. And and as I had mentioned, we will make the show available to you to put on your website or to send out in, you know, a, a further request for support. So if people want to really hear about the book, I mean, you've done an amazing job. Uh, of articulating what it's all about, um, but there is still a lot to be garnered from actually getting the book. The book itself is 320 pages, and the field guide and journal is 240 pages. And, you know, that sounds like a lot if you think about every page being filled with text, but uh, as Luna has mentioned, I mean, the book is beautiful. And, um, you know, I know just, uh, Luna, from talking to you that the wisdom, um, you know, that you have garnered from, you know, I'm sure watching success stories as well as uh, those that have not gone so well uh, is really encapsulated in the book. So I just thank you so much uh, for being so responsive to our request to to do this show quickly. I'm traveling uh, outside of the country next week, so uh, this was actually perfect. Great. So, uh, how about telling folks? Uh, let's just uh, let's forget your website for a minute, because uh, if people are going to remember one thing, I'd rather them remember the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. uh, how to find you on Kickstarter. So, um, would you just share uh, with folks? And I, I'm assuming you have some kind of link back over to your website from there. Yeah, it's actually both places, so they can go directly to the website, which is lunajaffe.com okay, slash great. Kickstarter. Um, and then they can also go onto the Kickstarter website and just type in Wild Money, and they'll find it. It's easier than the link. The link is very long. <laughs> but okay. if they just type in kick, uh, Wild Money on the Kickstarter campaign, they'll find it. Well, great. Well, we will also do a post out to our members when Patty posts the um, the uh, the file that people can listen to, uh, the audio file, and so we will help uh, help you by getting that out to our 700 members and uh, also out to our social network. So, Luna, I just, you know, I don't even have to wish you success. I would like to congratulate you in advance Thank you. Uh, on getting these books published. And uh, I am looking forward to having uh, a bound version uh, so that I can enjoy all of the beautiful uh, uh, artwork uh, and having that on my shelf and actually going through it. Uh, a couple of years ago I taught Dave uh, um Oh, Financial Peace University. Dave, help me. Uh, radio oh, show. Ramsey. Ramsey. Ramsey, thank you, mm-hmm. yes. And, uh, you know, my, my 14-year-old daughter went through that uh, program. But, you know, I, I think uh, my, my daughter, as well as me, uh, would love reading this book cover to cover. So I am looking forward to that. Thank you so much. All right, Luna. Well, uh, please keep me posted and, and, you know, again, would love to hear the success story. And uh, we will... Uh, make sure that once you do have it available that we will provide a way for our members to to order the book uh, online. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. I'll stay in touch. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.